So let's get into this. A little help from our friends. So here we are. We are in part five of the best question ever. Now, next week is the last part of this, so you're not going to want to miss next week. But as we're in part five in this series, this is what we've learned so far. We've asked, or we've said that there's really one question that we should ask at, at every decision that we're going to make, every opportunity, at every area of our life. And we, we've called that the best question ever, the best question of all. And the question is this, if you'll say it with me, because if you've been here long enough, we know what this question is. So say this together. What is the wise thing to do? Yes, that's the question. What is the wise thing to do? Yeah, what is the wise thing based on my past experience and the things that have happened in my life um, or in my family? What's the wise thing? What's the wise thing uh, with my current circumstance, the things that are going on in my life right now? What is the wise thing for me to do? Or my future hopes and dreams, the things that I would like to accomplish in life. What is the wise thing in this decision-making right now that's going to help me for my future? But today... I want to ask another question, and you can write this in if you would like, and here it is. What do you do when you don't know what the wise thing is to do? It's a great question, because we're asking, what is the wise thing to do? But what do you do when you don't know what the wise thing is to do? You know, what do you do when you get to the point where you're willing to say, God, I want to do the wise thing. That's what I'm I'm yearning to do. That's what I want to do. I'm ready to quit pretending. I'm ready to quit playing games. I'm ready to quit deceiving myself and being like, you know, where I've always been like, where's the line? How close to the line can I get? I don't want to do that anymore. Really, God, what is the wise thing? That's what I want to know. But I don't know what the wise thing to do is in this particular relationship. I want to know. I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. Or I don't know what the wise thing to do in this particular area of my finances. God, I want to do the wise thing, but I just don't know what it is. Or maybe it's professionally. Maybe you're at a place in your life, like maybe it's you're thinking about a job change or whatever it is, but you're like, I don't know, God, what is the wise thing for me to do? I, but I, I, want, I want to know. I just don't know. Or maybe it's in my marriage. God, I want to know what I want to know what the wise thing to do in my marriage in this particular time. This is what we're going through. But God, I don't know what that wise thing is. But I want to know. I mean, I'm going to ask the question, and I want to know what is the wise thing to do. But I'm really not sure what that answer is. What is the wise thing for me to do? And usually, what happens is where we have a struggle when we struggle in this decision-making process of what is the wise thing is, is if there's a lot of emotion tied into us trying to make this decision, right? Emotion can really fog this process of decision-making and asking what is the wise thing to do. When your heart and emotions are going in a certain direction, right, and, and someone is selling you on something, or it, it's hard to discern what, where do I go because emotions are clouding what I'm trying to think. And there's all kinds of emotions. They can be positive emotions. They can be negative emotions. The emotion that could be, I'm in love. Well, you're just messed up then at that point, right? Because once you say that, you can't think straight. I'm in love. 30% return on your investment. Uh, No money down. That gets us every time, doesn't it? I don't have to put any money down, maybe. Okay. There are all kinds of emotions that can impact or fog our decision-making process. 
where this high emotion comes in, sometimes it can be really difficult then to see straight and then even to know what is the wise thing for me to do because I can't see straight. I can't think straight to know what I'm doing. There are negative emotions as well. Think about when you're angry or you're jealous or you're resentful and suddenly you find yourself, you have to make a decision. And you're like, I, I shouldn't make a decision right now because I can't even, I can't even think straight because I'm so mad or, or whatever that might be. It's difficult to have clarity in those moments, isn't it? Have you ever been there? Where you're just fuming maybe and you just, you can't think straight. Where there's a lot of emotion, whether they're positive emotions or negative emotions, it can be very difficult to discern what is the wise thing for me to do. In fact, if we were probably to go to lunch and kind of sit down and talk about this in person, I bet your greatest regret, whether it was a night, uh, whether it was a season of your life, whether it was a marriage, or whatever it might be, has to do with the decisions that you made when there was a lot of emotion involved in those decisions. Again, the, that emotion may, be, it may have been anger. It may have been lust. Maybe somebody offered you the deal of the century or talked to you about an opportunity that was never going to come along again. This is it, a once in a lifetime. But if you look back, your greatest regrets were oftentimes unwise decisions. It's like the tattoo that says, no regrets. Seen those, that commercial? Yeah. That was an unwise decision at that moment. But these regrets are often these unwise decisions that were made when there's a lot of emotions swirling around in our minds and we just, we can't see straight. Another environment where we have difficulty figuring out what is the wise thing for me to do is when we're asked to make a decision in an area where we don't feel like we really have enough expertise in that area. Have you ever been there? A lot of us probably have. You know, maybe suddenly we're the leader, so we're expected to make the decision, or we're a father or a mother, and we're asked to make a decision where we really don't feel qualified to make the decision. You know, I was thinking back, I, I often wonder how in the world my oldest two made it out of being toddlers because my wife and I were really young and we had no idea what we were doing. But I definitely, by God's grace, and us asking lots of questions is what helped us even through that time. You know, when, the third, when number three and number four came along, it was a lot easier because we remembered, well, let's not do what we did there. And you kind of learn from three and four. Number four, you're like, yeah, they're good. They can figure it out. I think I hear them crying. Maybe. I don't know. Hey, why don't you all go and find that out, right? You see, there's a secret that all wise people know. Every wise person knows this secret. In fact, it's how they became wise in the first place. And this is what we're talking about. How do I know to do the wise thing? This is what wise people do. And when I tell you the secret, you're going to realize that, man, they don't seem that really that wise, you know, or as wise as you thought they were. But they sure seem wise because here's what every wise person knows. If you want to write this in, this is the first uh, uh, part on your out or the down a couple on your outline there. And it's this. This is my Dr. Seuss talk of the day. So pay attention. Wise people know when they don't know. And they're not afraid to go to those who do know. See, I told you it was my Dr. Seuss 
Follow along. Wise people know when they don't know, and they are not afraid to go to those who do know. In other words, they don't, wise people don't deceive themselves. They don't pretend to act like they know all the answers or they have all the answers. They, they don't act like they're smarter than they really are. Wise people know when they've, they've kind of reached the end of their knowledge. Wise people know when maybe there's too much emotion involved or they know that maybe they're, they know they don't know, but they're courageous enough to, to admit that I just don't know. I don't know the answer to this. It takes a lot of security to admit that if you're in charge, especially, it takes a lot of security when you're in charge to admit, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. I, I don't have any idea. But wise people aren't afraid to go then and ask the people who know if they aren't sure what that, what that answer is. You know, when you talk to people who are considered wise, here's what they know. They know when they've reached the end. They know when they've kind of reached the end of their their mind capacity in this certain area. They know when it's not a good time to make a decision or when they just don't know what it is. They're not afraid to go to people who do know. You know, sometimes pride gets in the way of us and we think, well, I can't go ask them because that means that I don't know. Exactly. That's the point. You don't know. So you should go and ask. You may think, well, if they're so wise, like these wise people, if they're so wise, why do they need counsel then, right? But that, that's a wrong thinking. The reason that wise people are wise is because they go and they ask for help. They get counsel from other people. They find the people that do know, and they go and they ask them what they know. One of the most amazing insights in the Bible really has to do with this principle. The wisest person to ever live on the planet other than Jesus was a guy named, anybody know, Bible class? Solomon, yes, King Solomon. God gave Solomon the gift of wisdom. And he had more wisdom than anybody else who had lived or ever would live in the future. He was a poet, he was a writer, he was a scholar. This wise man had more to say about seeking wise counsel than anyone else in the entire Bible. Why would the, the wisest man in the world say so much about seeking counsel? Well, it's this. It's what I said. Because wise people know when they don't know. And they're not afraid to go and ask other people who do know. Again, what happens is our pride gets in the way. But here's what Solomon, what he's writing in Proverbs 1.5, says this. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A wise man listens and a person of understanding acquires wise counsel. These people, they, they become wise because they're seeking other people and they're acquiring counsel. Even with, even with all they know, they're not afraid to go to other people to ask them to help them. They want to hear and learn uh, by asking other people. But here's the opposite. And this is what I talked about a few weeks ago. Proverbs 12:15 says this. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. The way of the fool is right in his own, in, in his own eyes. Remember I had the three stools and the fool stool was in the middle? Well, this is the fool. This is the attitude that says that I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Even if you're right. 
I'm not going to listen because I'm a fool. Basically, that's what you're saying. There's a pastor, Pastor Andy Stanley. He said this. One of the primary reasons we don't seek counsel from the wise people around us is that we already know what we're going to hear and we just don't want to hear it. Isn't that so true? We know what they're going to tell us and we know it's probably good advice, but I don't want to hear it because I'm a fool. I'm just going to be prideful and just do my own thing and I'm not going to listen to what you have to say. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man, no matter what age they are, in life is the one who will go and listen to counsel. Listening to counsel is what characterizes wise people. Nobody ever gets so wise in life that they don't still need counsel, that they don't still need to go to people for help. A wise person's always listening. You know, that's how people get really smart because they're always listening to other people and they're like, oh, let me learn from them. I'm going to learn from them. You see what they're doing? Oh, I'm going to learn from them. That's what, that's what wise people do. Wise men and women know when they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to the people who do know. So I'm going to give you three statements that I want to make related to this issue of wise counsel in our lives. Here's the first one. Many of the decisions that you make privately, and I would add to this, and independent of any outside advice, will eventually become public knowledge. So Many decisions that you make privately will eventually become public knowledge, right? I'll give you some examples. For example, if you privately and independently decide to buy a house, probably before long, everyone's going to know where you live. You want to know why? Because you're going to ask them all to help you move. So eventually, they're going to know, especially if you have a truck. Don't own a truck. That's the lesson of this. Never mind. All right. I sold mine. If you privately and independently buy a car, guess what? Everybody publicly is eventually going to know that you have a car. If you privately and independently decide to take a new job, eventually everyone's going to know that you took a new job because it may take you away somewhere else or your hours change or whatever it is. Most of the decisions that we make privately and independently will be public. People are going to know. It'll be public knowledge. So here's the second thing. The people around you judge the decisions that you make privately and independently. The people around you judge the decisions that you make privately and independently. You know, it is just human nature that in some way, shape or form, we just pass judgment on the things that our friends do. Isn't it true? We know it's true. Let's not deny it. I know we're in church, so we have to tell the truth. We just pass judgment on decisions that our friends make. I can't believe she's doing that. Right? I can't believe they're going out. I can't believe she's marrying him. You believe that? I can't believe they're splitting up. I can't believe they bought that house. Why would they buy that house? They can't afford that house. I can't believe they would send their kids to that school. Like, that's the worst school of all the schools. I can't believe they don't discipline their kids. Can you believe that? You know, I know we're not supposed to judge others, but if we're honest, isn't this something that we do? We do it. Let's not lie. I know as good Christians, we're not supposed to judge others lest we be judged. So maybe that's why we're judged all the time, because we're judging everybody else. 
Don't we pass judgment on decisions that people make around us? Look, we all have a public. All of us do. It may be 20 people. It may be 200 people that's your public. But people are constantly passing judgment on the decisions that we make privately and independently. Third thing, for many of us, the decisions that we make, even though they're private and they're independent, are not only known and judged by the public, but those decisions we make affect other people. The decisions that we make affect other people. You know, as a pastor here, every decision that I make in the ministries that I'm involved in affects a lot of people. I can make decisions privately and independently, but the effects are going to be felt publicly, right? Just the way it is. Every decision that I make as a father in our home, privately and independently, affects at least five other people. It's just the way it is. The result of decisions you make privately and independently oftentimes are felt and experienced publicly by those around you. Here's a question. So if you're trying to discern what the wise thing to do, like, God, I don't know what the wise thing to do. I want to know what the wise thing to do is. If you're trying to discern the wise thing to do financially, maybe it's relationally or professionally, then the results of these decisions are going to be known and judged publicly. The results of the decisions will probably affect other people. Why not on the front end have other people there helping you in the decision-making process? Doesn't that make sense? They're already going to know, and they're already going to judge you for it. So why not let them be judged too, right? You help me. It's your fault. At least you don't go it alone, right? But yeah, why not get other people in on this decision-making process ahead of time? This is how wise people end up making so many wise decisions. They don't, they don't make big decisions independent of counsel. Now, I can understand some people being kind of hesitant about this because we tend to think this is nobody's business. What I do is nobody's business. But at some point, guess what? It will become their business. It just will. Because they're going to know. They're going to judge. And they may even be affected by those decisions. Since that's a reality, wouldn't it make sense to involve wise people on the front end of your decision making? Because whatever's done privately and independently that eventually becomes and is judged public as public knowledge, wise people know what they don't know. They know this is the case. So I'm going to go ask people who do know, and they're going to help me. Now, there are so many stories in the Bible about people who God advised. Um, God gave a lot of advice. But this morning, we're, we're just going to take a look at one of these stories. We're going to go back to Genesis chapter 41. So if you're not really familiar with the Bible, Genesis, the Old Testament. So we're going way back to the Old Testament. This is a story about Joseph. This is a great story. So I'll just be Pastor Jerry for the day. Have you read your Bibles lately? Because you really should. This is a great story. The story of Joseph could be one of those stories like, you know, you watch on, like somebody could remake it in a whole different thing. You'd be like, man, this is an amazing story. It's amazing as it is. But all the stuff that's involved in it, it's so good. But Joseph lived like 1,900 years before, before Jesus. He was also the son of, remember who's he the son of? Come on, Bible class, let's go. Jacob, Joseph's 
Remember, Joseph's brothers were kind of jealous of him, and so they sold him into they sold him into slavery. And then the Egyptian, the slave traders, they took him to Egypt, and they sold him to Egypt, where he spent some time with the captain of the guard there in Egypt. And then you read the story some more. It's like I tell you, it's filled with all sorts of crazy stuff. So he's there for a while. He's doing really good, and all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is really hot, and it's like I want this guy. And she goes to at all costs, I'm going to get him. Or when he doesn't reciprocate, she's like, fine. He tried to rape me. He gets put in prison. And that's what happens to Joseph. Now, he, he's falsely accused. He's put in prison because of Potiphar's wife. And we'll be picking up this story where now he's been in prison for about 10 years and he's like 30 years old. You know, oftentimes our pride and our egos keep us from listening to wise counsel. But this story that we're going to be looking at is an amazing story about a king who had enough sense and security to listen to the most unlikely source of wisdom, because he's the king. And Pharaoh, since he's the king, guess what? He was in charge of Egypt, obviously, which was the power center of, of that part of the world during this time. Pharaoh was considered a god. He was considered to have eternal life. That's how they looked at Pharaoh, which meant that he didn't have to keep the law. Pharaoh was the law. He was the man. He had more power and more influence than anybody else in all of Egypt. So around 1900 BC, Pharaoh had a dream that he thought had some real significance to this dream. So he asked what he thought were the wise people around him. Um, he asked them to interpret the dream, and none of the people around him could interpret the dream. Um, but one of Pharaoh's servants told him, he's like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in prison, there was this boy at the time who I had a dream and he interpreted my dream and he in interpreted it right. Yes, I forgot all about him because I was supposed to remember. Now I'm remembering. So Pharaoh, there's a guy in, in the prison who can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh sends people down to the dungeon to find Joseph, who is now about 30 years old. They bring him, they shave him, they get him appropriately dressed because they're bringing him in front of Pharaoh in the court. You see, Joseph was not from their country, and Pharaoh had never met Joseph before. But Pharaoh wanted Joseph to interpret this dream because he had heard how he interpreted somebody else's dream. And then, so he's probably just going to have him interpret the dream, and then he's going to plan on sending him back to prison. That's how this is going to work. So, Pharaoh told him the dream, and I'm going to paraphrase this part. This is basically what Joseph says to Pharaoh. He goes, oh, Pharaoh, live forever. And he, and he goes on to tell him, he said, there's going to be seven incredible years of plenty in the nation of Egypt. There's going to be so much for seven years. You're going to have so much to eat. You're going to have so much grain, so much extra grain and extra food. But after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. And what's going to happen is everything is going to die. And everyone who does not store up grain for themselves, they're going to die. So seven years of plenty, seven years of not, not so good. Now Joseph, he's only supposed to be there to interpret the dream. I mean, that's what he was brought up for, right? But instead of keeping quiet and, and heading back to his cell, which I, if I was Joseph... You know, maybe I would have done the same thing. I mean, I was a little scared, but I'm like, I'm not going back in that place. So now it's his chance. I guess he's thinking, obviously, God was orchestrating this. Instead of keeping quiet and heading back to his cell, he does something unthinkable because this could have cost Joseph his life. To, he decides that he's going to give some advice to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in this area. He's going to give him some advice. 
So look what he does. And no one was really allowed to speak, to speak freely in front of Pharaoh. Kind of crazy. So here's what he does. In Genesis 41:33, this is where we're picking up in the scripture. Joseph told Pharaoh that here's what he's going to need to do. Here's the first step. He says this, Therefore Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Can you imagine? This Jewish guy came up from a prison cell and just told the most powerful man how to do his job. I don't know that I want to be Joseph. Because think about it. Isn't it a little bit true that you get, you get a little uncomfortable when people start telling you how to run your business? Most of us aren't very open to others telling us how to run our business or raise our kids or to live our lives for that matter. You know, it's like, I don't have any kids of my own, but, you know, I'm just 18 years old. I know I'm just your babysitter, but I have some suggestions on how you should handle your kids. Mm, I don't think so. Right? Isn't it true that when that happens, the walls just go right up when people do that? When somebody comes into our realm and they start trying to tell us what to do in our lives, like, who are you? It's unbelievable that Pharaoh, for whatever reason, decided to listen to what Joseph had to say. Obviously, God was working here. All right, Genesis 41, 34 through 35. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors. Over the land, this is Joseph, continue to speak, should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. Now, this is brilliant. He just gave them an unbelievable plan that for every year, for the next seven years, that they would take 20% of everything that they received and store it. Man, I'm sure that God was just feeding Joseph the things to say here. And he told Pharaoh to store it in his own name. It wasn't going to belong to the nation. This was going to be Pharaoh's. He was going to own it. Okay, and then on to Genesis 41:36. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. In other words, he's saying during the good years, save 20%. So when the bad years come, not only will you be fine, but you will be the only nation around that will have supply for everybody else. You'll be the only nation that's fine. So at this point... You know, I'm sure Pharaoh's officials, they're probably wondering, why is Pharaoh letting this guy from the prison speak to him? But they did, so they're all listening, and they're watching what, what Pharaoh's going to do, and they're listening to what Joseph has to say. Genesis 41:37. <clears throat> Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. Well, of course, his officials are going to do whatever Pharaoh says, so even if they didn't like him. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you clearly, no one is as intelligent or as wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have rank higher than yours. That is crazy. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Wow. I mean, I think about me, I think that I hope I would be as wise as Pharaoh being the leader at that time, but 
if I'm being honest, I probably would have thrown him out. Maybe you would have done the same thing. You know, yeah, you're an economic genius. What, you just ran the prison for however long? Nobody even knew you were there. Like, I'm going to let you run my nation. Yeah, right. No, but that's what Pharaoh does. Instead of throwing Joseph out, Pharaoh rewarded him by putting him in charge of the entire nation of Jesus. Why? Because wise people know when they don't know. And they're not afraid to listen to the people who do know. So it made Pharaoh a wise person in this sense. Wise people know when they're hearing truth. And they don't immediately discount unlikely sources of wisdom. Because Joseph was an unlikely source of wisdom. So to continue the story. Seven years of plenty came. Pharaoh owns 20% of all the grain. Seven bad years came and the people of Egypt were forced at this point to come to Pharaoh for the grain. And at the end of the seven bad years, Pharaoh owned everything and everybody in Egypt. He owned all their cattle. He owned all their land. He personally owned it all. Not Egypt. He owned it. Not only that, but the surrounding nations, guess what, had to come to Pharaoh to buy the grain. It's crazy when you look at this story. Without ever firing a shot, Pharaoh was basically able to take control of all the economies that were around him because of this, all the surrounding nations. He was able to do this because why? Because he knew what he didn't know, and he, and he didn't discount an unlikely source, which that source was Joseph. Even though the advice came from a foreigner who was a slave who was in the, his own dungeon, he still listened. So three things that we can gain as we're closing this message out. Three things that we can gain from this story. Number one, if you want to write this in. No one is ever so wise that they no longer need wise counsel. No one is ever, no one is so wise that they no longer need wise counsel. You see, Solomon wasn't too wise to listen. Pharaoh wasn't too powerful to listen. And if Pharaoh needed it and Solomon needed it, wouldn't it make sense that we need wise counsel? No matter how successful or how uh, successful you are or how educated you, you are, no matter how much smarter you are or how much you own or how powerful you are, you'll never be at the place where you still don't need wise counsel from other people. The tendency is to think, was once I'm here, Right here, here's what we think. Once I'm here, I am the wise counsel. That's what we think. But people, like people, must come to me because I am the the know-all. I, I know I, I'm the source of all these things. But wise people, they know their limit. There's a limit. You have a limit. Everybody has a limit. Wise people know their limit, and every wise person knows when they don't know, and they're not afraid to seek counsel to find out from the people who do know. Number two, you'll never reach your full potential without utilizing the wisdom of others. You realize that, right? You'll never reach your full potential without utilizing the wisdom of others. You just won't. There's something in all of us, I believe, that we think that we'll reach a point beyond needing the counsel of other people. But, but we'll never reach our full potential out, without outside input. I love basketball. Like, we have, like, jersey today because that's what Jerry told us to do. So that's what we're doing. I'm just kidding. It's a good thing, right? But basketball is my favorite sport. I love to watch basketball over any other sport that's out there. And I would say this. Even Steph Curry, arguably the best three-point shooter that's ever played the game of basketball, guess what? He has a coach. 
And I would say he's a better three-point shooter than his coach. A better basketball player. But he knows that he won't, he won't get to his full potential without getting input from his coach. Outside input. Every professional athlete knows this principle. But, but somehow when it comes to parenting or, or running our business or our spiritual lives or relationships or marriages, we think we don't need it. But every wise person knows when they don't know, and they're not afraid to go to the people who do know. Because we'll never reach our full potential without going outside of what you know. Third point is this. Wise counsel may come from very unlikely sources. Wise counsel for you may come from very unlikely sources. You see, the temptation here is to think that we have to seek counsel from somebody that's like way ahead of us or way beyond us. Now, that, that's good. You can do that. And you should do that. But if anything that we see, that's not the only place. If that's the only place you're going, then that's wrong. There, that should be a place for people that are ahead of you. But if you're looking at that's the only place, then that's wrong. Because if anything comes from the story of Pharaoh and Joseph, it's that Pharaoh was wise enough to know that sometimes wisdom will come from an unlikely source. You never know the source that God wants to use to speak into your relationships or your business or your finances. But again, wise people know what they don't know and they're wide opening to listen, listening to other people. Another place where you know, I think about this for me, that I can mess this principle up is when I, maybe I, I think back to advice that I wish I had taken. Anybody been there? You, you think back and you wish you had taken some advice that somebody gave you. Because my tendency can be to listen to the messenger and then I look at that person's life or I look at their past and then I make an excuse not to listen to them. Maybe because of one thing that they did in their past. And, and now I don't want to listen. I may question all that advice because maybe they made a bad decision in their past. And I can use that then as an excuse to not listen to the advice that they want to give me. Maybe you're in here and you're a teenager and you think your parents didn't do the stuff that they're advising you to do when they were young. They didn't do that. So because they're advising you on something that they didn't do, you feel like you get a bypass right around that advice. Have you ever been there? I remember as a teenager thinking that. Well, you didn't do that, Mom. So why am I going to listen to you? You smoke. Why are you telling me not to smoke? You know, same kind of thing. Maybe somebody comes into your life again and you don't respect them because you disagree with something they did in their past. Or how about this? In the current culture and the climate that we live in, maybe they have some great advice. But guess what? They believe differently than you politically. So guess what? I'm not listening to you. No, no, no. I can't hear what you have to say because you agree with them or you agree with them. So I'm not listening to that good advice you have. So we don't listen to something you know in your heart is good advice because you disagree with them. This is tragic. And fortunately for Pharaoh this, and the people of Egypt, Pharaoh understood that it doesn't matter how long Joseph was in the dungeon um, or where he came from. He realized that this was an unlikely source of some wise counsel for him. So don't discount unlikely sources of wisdom. Wise people know better than to do that. Now part of this is common sense, but for some reason we we tend to push back on this, don't we? Part of the reason we push back is because we really don't want to know what the wise thing to do is. That's sometimes where it comes. I just don't, you know, yeah, I can kind of see it, but I don't want to know. 
It's as I said before, oftentimes we don't want to hear what other people have to say because we already know what they're going to say. I'm not going to go to that person because I know what they're going to tell me. I'm not telling mom about this because I know what mom's going to tell me. I'm not going to dad about this because I know what dad's going to tell me and it's going to be right and I don't want to hear it. The other reason we push back is that we think it's nobody's business. It is nobody's business. But we must remember what I said earlier that our private and independent decisions will become other people's business, whether you want it to be or not. So why not take advantage of their advice on the front end of the decision-making process? So I'm going to ask you this. Are you in the midst maybe of an emotional, emotionally and intense situation where you're trying to figure out what the wise thing is to do? And you want to know, but you know that you're clouded. The emotions make it too difficult to discern what is wise. Are you in the middle of making a decision where you are maybe just really out of your league, but people expect you to know the answer because you're the leader? You think you ought to know the answer and that you have to be confident about knowing, but you know in your heart, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know what to do. Then the smart thing to do, what wise people do, is don't pretend that you know. They're not afraid to listen to the people who know. So why should we be? If in your heart, as you've listened to this message and you realize the best question of all is this, what is the wise thing to do when you don't know? I would say it's this. It's ask. Just ask. Don't be too prideful or don't be too whatever to not. Just go to somebody and ask. Ask for wise counsel from somebody. There's a lot of people around you who would be willing to say, Oh, I can help you with that, or I can point you to somebody who can, if I don't know. It doesn't mean you lack wisdom. It really actually is the evidence of wisdom when you're willing to go and ask other people, because wise people know where to go. So what is the question today that you know that you are wrestling with? What is that question? What is the situation that you're looking for insight into, and maybe you want to know what it is, but maybe you're thinking, I don't want to ask anybody else. Well, I would challenge you to ask, because that just might be the thing that you need. Don't be afraid to ask, because that's what wise people do. Now, this morning before I pray, as I'm thinking about this message, you know, ultimately, in in the title of this message, a little help from our friends, what I understand is especially if you're not a Christian in here watching, is the realization that the best friend that we will ever have is Jesus. He's the one that wants to give us the ultimate advice. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. It's having a relationship with him is where all this starts. Now, yeah, you can be a Christian and listen to everything I've said this morning and actually work through this and get some wise counsel. I don't think Pharaoh is a Christian. Right. And he gains some wisdom through that. But ultimately, to have real true wisdom and where that starts from, it starts with the best friend that we could ever, ever have. And that is with the relationship with God through his son, Jesus. So if you really want to begin to have true wisdom, that's where it starts for you is there. So if that's you this morning, you're like, well, I want that. I want to have that wisdom. I want to begin this journey. It's really as easy as what we tell the little kids. It's, it's the ABCs. It's really understanding that I admit that I've done things wrong. See, God loves us. God loves us all. He created us to be with him. But sin wrecked all that. 
but God had a plan. He didn't leave it to, our, to us. He sent his son Jesus to this world to die on the cross for all of our sins, and he didn't stay dead. He rose again, and the Bible says that anyone who puts their faith and trust in him alone will have eternal life. That's where true wisdom starts in a relationship with him. So if this morning, if that's you, and you're like, I want to begin that wisdom journey, and then I want to start working on the rest of the wisdom stuff, why don't you just pray along with me? So let's go ahead and just bow our heads. And if that's you this morning, whether you're watching or whether you're here in person, you can just make this your prayer. I'll just pray it with you. You just say, Father, from what I heard this morning, you love me. I want to have wisdom. I understand that you are wisdom. And you fixed this whole sin problem by sending your son Jesus to this world. So I admit that I've sinned. I admit that I've done things that I shouldn't do, but I understand that you sent Jesus into the world to fix that by dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that. I believe that he rose again. And today I'm choosing to follow you. I'm choosing to give my life over to you. So as much as I understand at this moment, as much as I know how, come into my life, fill me with your power, your peace, your joy, your love, and help me to really begin to have wisdom. And now for all of us, God, as we listen to this message this morning, may you help us to, as we're asking what is the wise thing to do when we don't know what to do, would we, God, be willing to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to ask. May we start with asking you, God, and looking into your word and trying to find where we might find wisdom. But then from there, maybe going to friends, going to others to say, will you help walk this Will you help give me some advice so I can try to make the wise, do the wise thing in this? I want to do that. I want to follow and, and make the wise thing today, make the wise choice today. So help us to do that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us eternal life. Thank you for your son. And thank you that you've given us friends that can help us to make better choices and do the wise thing. In Jesus' name, amen.